maybe this is his approach to just like destroy the company. He, he's trying to make it appear as if he's a bumbling moron who's like trying all these things to fix Twitter, but he's actually destroying it just intentionally, it. right? And who, who could say that that's not going to be a net positive on society, right? Hello, welcome back to Radius of Reason. This is episode 17, where we're going to dive into what the fuck is happening at Twitter. What is happening at Twitter? Before we get into that, I think that we should probably give a warm welcome to our latest uh, coalition of subscribers that we brought in. Um, Andrew Tate haters or Andrew Tate lovers who are maliciously just clicking that, smashing that subscribe button to our channel. Um, welcome. It's good to have you. We hope that we keep you entertained and really apologize in advance that this is not, in fact, an Andrew Tate hate podcast, uh, which maybe that's the best business model we could have that at is, this point. Yeah. That's what uh, they recommended on Hustlers University. To just have yeah. a, a platform solely <laughs> dedicated to hating Andrew Tate. Quite brilliant. Um We'll hate on Elon instead today. Yeah. Somewhat. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss but Elon. Uh, yeah. We'll discuss what's happening, too. Um, I suppose if Andrew Tate had acquired Twitter or something, we'd be forced to be in that position as well. But Radius of Reason is a show where we take uh, things happening in the news and politics. Uh, we take esoteric philosophical concepts and conspiracy theories and we just break them down into terms that like cavemen could understand uh, if yeah. they were listening to, to podcasts in their cozy little caves. Um, you can find us on all standard channels for, for podcasts, your Spotify's, your podcast apps, your YouTube's, obviously. Uh, we're not on Rumble yet, <laughs> but depending on how this episode goes, we might have to, to relocate to there as well. Probably not. What about our Twitter account? We do have a Twitter account. You could follow How's us. How's that going, Andre? Oh, uh, you know, we have two subscribers. Always, always happy to to talk to our two subscribers. Our one fan, um, I think, from like, it's one of those states. Anyways, hello to them as well. Our two devoted followers. Uh, one of, yes. Okay. Uh, so... Enough about our low subscriber count. Which it's getting it, it it is climbing. It is climbing. People are recognizing uh, the message of the gospel. Real recognize real. So, but yes, uh, if if you like what we do, please follow us on any platform you you might consume your podcasts on. Please follow us on Twitter at radius underscore of. We'd love to be in touch. Let us know what you think. Except, uh, stay away from the damn YouTube comments. Just stay away. Uh, I like the YouTube comments. Yeah. yeah in maybe. a sick in a very sick way. Yeah, maybe. We should we should interview them like <laughs> in person and see what comes. All of our future guests will be YouTube people who <laughs> hate, people who hate us on YouTube. <laughs> which would be novel. Um yeah. so let's start this episode out. Uh Levon, what the fuck is going on on Twitter? Well, we know Elon uh was uh gonna be very trigger happy as soon as he acquired Twitter. And um, he has proven himself to be very trigger happy, but I don't think anybody expected what we're seeing right now, which seems to be utter chaos from the outside. Perhaps there is some logic to it. We'll look at that a little bit later on. 
but he basically fired slash laid off 50% of the workforce as soon as he got in there. And then there's been additional things going on. He's been firing people that criticize him on Twitter, Twitter employees, current Twitter employees that criticize him on Twitter on a, a comment on a tweet that he made. He then fired them in that same comment thread. Was that one employee? That was one, but there's other examples apparently. Okay. Um, so I don't know. It seems crazy. Um, and then, you know, he's implemented this kind of blue check mark thing, the $8 a month subscription, which it's not a thing anymore, which is not, he's put it on hold because it went unbelievably poorly. I know when I heard this, I thought, okay, he's going to charge for people to get verified and have the blue check mark. But what he actually did was simply charge to have a blue check mark, <laughs> which is not associated with actually being verified which led in itself to a separate series of circumstances where you had a series of imposter accounts appearing up one of which was actually impersonating elon musk himself which i believe was also verified through the twitter blue approach uh, which of course i think the elon musk parody account was very quickly banned um so we're at this full circle where there was a faction of individuals out there in the ether that were really saying that elon musk's musk's acquisition of twitter was going to be this huge win for free speech absolutism but it, it kind of gives a level of vibe that uh in fact we're not in a, in a free speech utopia where it's just a different entity controlling the platform that's still going to be banning people for it, for it turns out it's actually really difficult to moderate online content absolutely as we know with with all of our uh vast amounts of, <laughs> of commentary Incredi yeah incredibly offensive uh andrew tate discriminate discrimination yeah poor yeah um i, I want to give an example actually um of like concretely what what has happened here at twitter because it's very fascinating so one thing that's happened is he sent out an email, right, um, where he said the following, going forward to build a breakthrough Twitter 2.0 and succeed in an increasingly competitive world, we will need to be extremely hardcore. This will mean working long hours at high intensity. Only exceptional performance will constitute a passing grade. And then he offered a link uh, for... Um, the employees to click on if they're on board with that. And then he concluded the email by saying, anyone who has not done so by 5 p.m. will receive three months of severance. And apparently many employees did not, in fact, <laughs> uh, click on that link. And so he is really trying to weed out almost anyone who's not 100% on his team, right? Uh, who, who's not gung-ho about his vision of Twitter, whatever that may be. I, I don't right. know what he's actually offered. You know, we, we don't know all the details. You know, we, we don't know if he's given some, you know, unbelievable presentation, you know, uh, and, and some people are just disagreeing with it or like they have no idea what's going on uh, and they just know Elon Musk from, you know, his Twitter rants, right? Um so, so that that happened, but I, I was also listening to a, a New York Times podcast where they were interviewing two 
current Twitter employees mm -hmm. about what's going on. And they were speaking about this uh, implementation of the blue check mark uh, verification, the eight dollar a month Twitter subscription. Blue. Yeah. yeah, Twitter blue. Um, and they said, you know, this is a feature that normally would take like three to six months to implement with with all the tes testing that has to be done, et cetera. But Elon basically wanted it done, quote unquote, next Monday. So, I mean, look, I work in software development. You know, like this isn't like um, this isn't some sort of like hit piece on Elon. This is very consistent with with what I understand with basic logic. But these are actually like monumental changes that he once done overnight. And unsurprisingly, it went incredibly poorly. You know, what does that say about his state of mind right now? Well, you, know, or, you could also make the argument that this is just the state of mind of Elon Musk, because from what I remember, very similar complaints were issued towards him in the past five, six years at Tesla, where he'd set very unrealistic production goals and just walk away from it. And that's when you have the controversies of like the outdoor assembly facilities that Tesla had to throw up because they had to meet these like insane quotas that to basically like stretch out tents in the middle of the desert to, to, to assemble these cars. So I think it's a very kind of Elon Musk quote unquote approach to, to management where you just set this insane like bar barrier to, to, to completion mm -hmm. and then you walk away from it and whatever happens happens to a certain extent. Um, I think it's one thing I wanted to point out, first of all, with, with the severances, it's interesting that, um, so you, you, you have like the, the, the severances that current employees are getting if they don't want to stick to his vision. Right. But you also have the really kind of high-profile executives that Elon laid off at Twitter as well, who departed with like millions upon millions of dollars um, and kind of their golden parachutes that they sort of fled the company with. And I think the stark contrast to that is also a little bit interesting, where you have like a microcosm of the managerial class escaping the shit show with like millions of dollars, and then like the low-level like software developers are kind of stuck picking up the pieces. Um, which is <laughs> shit. I mean, honestly, but, but, um, the, the thing about Elon Musk, I think that is really, really, uh, going to, I think, color this whole situation with Twitter is Elon Musk kind of becomes his companies to a certain extent, right? Where, I mean, I couldn't tell you who the leadership at Twitter was beforehand. I couldn't tell you what the leadership was like at solar city before Elon Musk acquired it. He really sort of steps into this role of like, he becomes the personification of said company, which then directly impacts how the brand develops and how the brand evolves. And I think now we're seeing this transition of Twitter from it's maybe classic, uh, classic as in pre Elon position to now being directly linked to Elon Musk. And what's that, what, what is that going to do for Twitter in the future? I mean, that's just as random and chaotic as whatever his vision for 2.0 is. Will there be a mass exodus? A mass exodus. Well, of I mean, users of users. Oh, I think one of the things that's defined the Twitter user historically is just like a huge propensity to criticize Twitter. It, it's like uh, that is the nature of being a Twitter user is to just complain about Twitter. I don't know if there's going to be a mass exodus. 
because everybody kind of started <laughs> taking like a like a posturing on it when it turned out Elon was going to acquire it. I don't know how many people have actually left. And also, like, okay, you leave, fine. And there's been chatter that they're trying to find an alternative platform to go to. Uh, <laughs> they're trying to find an alternative platform, right? Like, like, Ma- it, it, yeah, yeah, it, 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 like Mastodon, Mastodon, right? right like Mastodon, and, and it's just like in the era when when Donald Trump was originally kicked off, you had a conservatives fleeing to whatever conservative Mm -hmm. truth social or whatever. I mean, yeah, I'm sure these platforms are afloat, but you just can't replicate the community that Twitter is. is, is Yeah. Not overnight. Right. Certainly not overnight. So I don't know if, and there's too much, and there's too much commercial interest at stake for a lot of people, Right. right. For a lot of the, you know, the most influential people on Twitter. Right. Uh, and as, so as long as they remain on Twitter and it's going to be very, very hard to replicate an audience of like 500,000 people on another platform that, mm-hmm. I mean, Twitter is right. Like, Twitter is, it's kind of like entered into this realm of like headspace. It's captured in our culture where it's synonymous. It's a verb almost right to tweet. That's a thing now. I don't go in Mastodon, right? I don't. I don't know what that is. What would be the equivalent of tweeting on Mastodon? I don't know. Mas- Masting. Master donning. Masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So I don't think there's going to be an exodus. Personally, what about you? Um. Not anytime in the near future. Um. You know, I, I would hope that we do come up with better social media platforms. Uh, if Twitter isn't able to revolutionize itself, um, at some point, all social media platforms have to, you know, evolve. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's a matter of whether they can evolve effectively. If not, you know, they will be outcompeted mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and so speaking of Twitter's evolution, you know, what do you have to say about what Elon might be trying to achieve, you know, in this moment uh, with his vision? My personal belief is that he's just trolling everybody i don't (laughs) actually think there is a vision i think that this is just i had a moment a couple of weeks back like when the headlines first started popping up about the layoffs and the long hours that people were expected to work i think to me it was just sort of this like multi-billion dollar meme that he's created where even the language he's using in the letter that you read that he sent out to his employees it's kind of almost like trolling tech company, like work culture. It's like, Oh, we're like really going to have to hustle really hard. And, and you know, we're gonna have to be here long hours. And I mean, it, it's almost like he's, he, he's also filtering out like people who maybe don't have a sense of humor or his sense of humor. Maybe too. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's really a great strategy when you, you know, when you're in charge of a massive corporation. But that's the thing is I think there is a strategy because <laughs> maybe this is his approach to just like destroy the company and to. Well, that's an interesting thought. Is Elon Musk trying to destroy Twitter? He's like a social media Luddite. Right? But in yeah. a way that you couldn't sue him for, right? <laughs> like he, he's trying to make it appear as if he's a bumbling moron who's like trying all these things to fix Twitter, but he's actually destroying Just it intentionally, it. Right? right? And who who could say that that's not going to be a net positive on society, right? Like well, Elon Musk could be doing all of us a massive favor. There are very real complaints with what Twitter has done to how we consume information. I think that... 
for instance, instead of reading entire articles or reading entire pieces, we just, we just take whatever is, is written and, and accept it as a truth, right? Like, a whatever the character limit summary is of an article. And we just accept that as, okay, yeah, this is, this is in fact true. Or like the, the massive spread of, I mean, Facebook is obviously guilty of this as well, but disinformation on Twitter, right? Where certain images are shared and they're being attributed to one thing versus the next. I think we saw a lot of this really happen during the Ukraine war most recently, right? Where, you know, like the entire, stories just pop up out of nowhere that were willed into existence by Twitter users, like the ghost of Kiev and everything. Well, but you know, it's not just Twitter users, right? That yeah. Causing this because we know when it comes to disinformation on Twitter, that bots are a huge problem. Yeah, that's the bot. And, thing, and yeah. we know that, um, even if bots only make up a tiny fraction of the users on Twitter, if they're able to post, you know, a hundred times, a thousand times a day, mm -hmm. they can have, you know, they can be responsible for like 90% of the engagement on Twitter. Right. So think about how terrifying that thought is, right? When right. it comes to amplifying misinformation. So I, I think it would be totally on brand Elon Musk to just show up to Twitter and like disassemble it from the inside. I, so there is a method to the madness. There is. Because we're kind of like going back and forth. We are. We are. So, I mean, like, if I had to pin you down, like... If you had to pin me down, I think that he is likely trying to get as much out of his investment as possible. I think he dumped, what, like $50 billion in there or something like that? Um, yeah, $44 billion. 40, yeah, you know, we're rounding up for inflation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, already, it's already equivalent to $50 right. billion. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think that he is... Like, I mean, what do companies like oracle do when they acquire another tech company right they conduct layoffs they run on a shoestring budget they make it as lean as possible to mm -hmm. squeeze as much value out of it as possible i think that's what he's doing so do you think the media is kind of exaggerating uh some of these things i mean like we we did point to a few concrete examples of actions that don't seem to be like i don't know the most well thought out let's say but I think so. I think that again is part of the Elon Musk brand, where he just does things that that mm -hmm. might seem like absolutely insane from like right. a classical business standpoint. I think there's also a very real possibility, and I think Elon Musk has spoken pretty openly about um, kind of the state of his mind and his struggles with. Um, I think I don't want to like use the wrong diagnoses here, but I'm pretty sure he's come out saying that he has like Asperger's or something like that. Hmm. Um, which he got criticism for too, right? But it's, I, I think that there is no like strategy in that. I don't really know if he th like really thought about why he's going to buy it, but now that he has it, I think he's just going to try to make money off of it, be it through like Twitter blue, whatever. Yeah. Twitter blue failed. They're going to get it right. Eventually. Right. He's going to have software engineers working on it. Um, I don't know if this is like a Machiavellian like political push to like, you know, troll the libs or something <laughs> like that. I, I think at the end of the day, Elon you have to follow the money. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the, the day, money. Elon Musk is trying to like stay wealthy as fuck, and I think everything else is a distraction from it. That, that's my take. What about you, man? Um, I think. 
I think he is trying to definitely slim it down. Um, he does have a certain vision, I'm sure. I don't know if like his execution of getting there though is actually going to be, you know, um, is necessarily going to be successful, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, because his, his actions again, like it doesn't matter what your vision is. It doesn't matter, you know, what your status uh, and perception was before mm -hmm. you come in here and you treat your employees like this. You're, you know, what are the other employees thinking when, you know, their coworkers are getting fired on Twitter? The, what, the what fire. Are, yeah. What, what are they thinking when he's sending out these emails? Like you need to work 80 hours a week, you know? What are they thinking when he... There was another email he sent where he was asking them to come fly down to say, for a meeting, good, like, yeah. just, like, the next day. It's like, what? Like, he seems unhinged. What that does to the morale of the workforce, I think, you know, but uh, that could be problematic. How, but how much of that is just American corporate culture, right? The whole... I mean, even this notion of, like... Working 80 hours a week, right? That, that's such like a... But, but the tech bro culture is shifting that landscape. It's not like a typical, right? Like these tech companies, they don't operate the same as, you know, say a 50-year-old engineering firm, right? Right. That has 10,000 employees. That's kind of governed by these very like almost archaic sure. labor... Uh Ab absolute practices well you know? i mean but i i think the tech bro work culture is is kind of the, the toxic element to it here too i mean I, I think i mean i don't know well it has its problems but what i'm what i'm trying to say is like you can't come in with this you know one mentality when this is uh, maybe very different from what aside from like the public firings which i mean that in itself is 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 messed up I don't know what the work culture at Twitter was like beforehand, right? That's true. Maybe they weren't open for sure. Right. I mean, most Neither people I know who work in tech, they're putting in long hours. Like, yeah, they have like, I mean, I mean, think about all the things that like tech startup culture is kind of given the workforce writ large. Like case in point is the concept of like unlimited PTO, right? That is, that's a very like tech company thing to do, but I, I think everybody would be in agreement that that's basically like a license for exploitation, right? If you have unlimited yeah. PTO and who, who actually takes unlimited PTO, like go and take like three months off and see what they, it's not unlimited. Right. 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 So I, I think that all these things that are coming out as like pieces of evidence of like, Oh my God, he's introducing this like really talk that that's just like, that that's fucking work culture in this country because we don't have labor unions to protect our, our rights as workers anymore. And barring a few industries which are actively unionizing, but even then, you know, look at the resistance it's facing. We don't have any real kind of governing bodies in place to protect our rights as workers either from like a policy level. So this is just, I think, work life in America that Elon, oh, we're kind of on a first name basis, Elon. Our boy Elon. Our boy, Mr. Musk. Yeah. But I think he is, this whole email thing that he sent which was then reprinted in the New York Times. It's all going into building out like the greater character of who Elon Musk is, right? This like demanding, brilliant tech dude, which I don't think he's any of those things. I think he's rich. I think he's rich as fuck, and he always has been because of his family's mm -hmm. um, mining industries in Africa. Uh, and he just has money to blow on these things.
And occasionally his investments pay off, but we can get into that a little bit later too. But I don't think that what he's doing is some sort of like new thing that, that the tech world is suddenly seeing. Let, let me ask you this. Do you think that Elon Musk's ideology is playing a role? Like his political ideology is playing a role in this, um, you know, Twitter takeover. Well, I think there is a very... Um, because I just want to caveat that by saying, uh, or, or kind of just clarify that point by saying, it seems from the outside as if Elon has kind of transitioned from, you know, someone who is maybe more left-leaning in some ways to someone who's kind of, you know, kind of followed suit with everyone you know, as, as COVID evolved and post COVID now, this transition to the right almost that has occurred, you know, and I'd be curious to see how like his, uh, we should probably look this up, but how his donations have changed. Right. Because there's probably like the public persona he's offering up versus like who he's giving money to all the money. And I think that people are going to point to his, um, unbanning of Donald Trump Mm -hmm. as something that's like, like really embodying like the the politics of elon musk as it's impacting twitter but i i mean i think i've seen the claim being made that elon musk is politicizing twitter i don't think that's necessarily an accurate claim because i think twitter in itself has always been a politicized entity i think removing donald trump from twitter was a political move and that that, that was in itself politicizing the platform is elon musk bringing in like the counter swing to more of like a conservative approach to it I don't I don't really know if he has like clearly defined politics, right? I think he has like this kind of nonsense position he takes sometimes again like free speech absolutism, mm-hmm. but we know that's not really the case because he just banned um Kathy Griffin or something like that for impersonating him on Twitter. Um I know he he banned just anyone that impersonated or criticized him right. basically. So I mean, even even just criticized yeah, him, right? So I don't think he really I mean, had there isn't like a Muskian ideology. I think a lot of things that he does, I mean, look at, for instance, how he's managed Tesla historically, right? Where he makes very, I'd say, like, inflammatory statements to draw attention to whatever thing he's working on, which then drives uh, stock revenue at Tesla specifically, right? It was, you know, claims made, I mean, even recently, right? Like, remember when the Cybertruck came out? It was all these claims that, like, oh, yeah, like, the Cybertruck is going to come with its own, like, all-terrain vehicle you could park in the back. And then that never really manifested, and they just uh, dropped that project, too, right? Or early on when Tesla was really coming off the ground, there was the promise of having... um, battery swap stations for your tesla where you could drive pull up just swap your batteries out for a charged one leave your old one there to Mm -hmm. charge and drive away they never manifested either but he kind of says all these things like whatever he comes up with to draw like attention to what he's doing which kind of in the way that our economy sort of functions at this point it drives value in um potential higher valuations for the companies that he's that he's working on and granted, Twitter is private right now, from what I understand. But I think that all of these like pronouncements that he's making, it, it's kind of bringing out the facade of activity that we're doing things, and that's why he does things like you pointed out. You know, demanding that Twitter Blue happen in like a week because it's not about effectively launching; it's about building out the illusion that he's some sort of competent manager that's come in to clean up. And I think honestly, even though the New York Times piece that you quoted from 
with his like email to all of his coworkers. I think it was supposed to be a criticism of Elon Musk. I think they're just playing into the game. They're giving him all of the fodder. They're giving him all of the attention, mm. which I think that is exactly what's going on. So, you know, there's this myth of the heroic CEO. <laughs> and I think Elon Musk has embodied that to some extent, um, especially, you know, with Tesla and SpaceX. But there's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Um, very well-received book, very good research. And it dived into this question and it showed that a lot of the success that we attribute to CEOs is kind of overestimated, right? Uh, some of it due to the halo effect, but primarily if you look at randomness, and luck, like these play a much bigger role than people want to ever admit. I mean, not just with CEOs, but with, with really anything in life. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you can imagine, right? Like you have the CEO of BP and the CEO of Shell, you know, if the CEO of Shell um, or, or if Shell as a company, you know, is involved in some cover up or something like automatically, like BP is going to do better. Right. By virtue of the, something happening to their competitor that was completely out of their control, that the CEO didn't do anything, you know, to, to, to produce. Mm -hmm. But now the CEO of BP is going to, you know, over time as that company does better, you know, relative to their competitor, they're going to be perceived as a better CEO, even though they didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you know, in some ways, like, could we say some of this... Um, some of this phenomenon of, of, of this myth of, of a her heroic CEO has played out uh, with Elon Musk Absolutely. at SpaceX and Tesla. Maybe he's not, you know, maybe what Twitter, what, you know, the situation with Twitter right now is demonstrating is he's not actually as competent as we thought. Maybe there was more luck involved than we thought. Maybe there was just more elements of randomness that was favorable to Elon I think it's uh, less randomness and luck. I think it's the fact that Elon Musk was born exceptionally wealthy. And I think that makes it a lot easier to... Well, that is luck to some extent. Well, fine. Yeah. Luck as much <laughs> right. as like we're lucky to be born. And yeah, okay, fine. That's luck. But I think uh, wealth has a lot to do with it. I think that is the greater story that is told throughout the United States, you know, if you look at, for instance, successful Hollywood actors, for instance, right? Look at how many of them actually come from very well-connected families that offered them up opportunities to, to practice their craft to a certain extent, right? But that's not really spoken about a lot. You usually see them, oh, like they worked really hard at their craft, which might be true, it might be not, but I think nepotism and leaps forward that Mm -hmm. being born into money gives you are definitely factors that influence success. And then because we have this capacity to build out personas on social media and the internet, you can sort of chip away at the less savory elements of your background to present only this like brilliant CEO persona. We don't really talk about Elon Musk as the heir to like an Emerald fortune in Africa, right? That's not part of the Elon Musk narrative. What we do associate him with is kind of this, Tony Stark, Iron Man type of character, right? That this like 
zany, brilliant inventor who wants to get us to Mars to colonize it and everything like that. And that's the image that's been crafted. And I think that goes in line with what you're talking about over the greater myth of like the heroic CEO, where to, to kind of circle back to our conversation last time about Andrew Tate, there is this image that somebody who like hustles and like works hard and does all these things and is decisive and that is all part of the facade, right? And I think there, as we're finding, isn't that much substance to it all the time necessarily. I think there's definitely very, very competent people out there. I think Elon Musk is probably very strong on brand building to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where, in my mind, I often make the comparison with Donald Trump. Maybe, I don't know, ideologically speaking, but Donald Trump kind of embodies this like heroic CEO myth to a certain extent, right? Similar to Elon, born exceptionally mm-hmm. wealthy, but yeah. what is Donald Trump if it's not the Donald Trump brand, right? The, the businessman and, mm-hmm. and the, the, the casinos and the fashion shows, but those are all very like carefully curated pieces of the image. But we know that, Donald Trump is a shit businessman because of the tax <laughs> yeah. filings, right? And, and uh, the, the money he owes to people, the, the fact he can't pay his lawyers, but that's not part of the image. So I think th- that's very much the, the shoes that Elon Musk is occupying. But let me ask you this. What do you think that this heroic CEO concept is doing to kind of the, the fabric of our country, right? To, to like the, what what is it doing to, actual competence and ability versus just branding i mean it's just further propagation of like influencer culture hollow just just the shallowness of everything (laughs) right i mean i don't know i think it's pretty much that straightforward and most people like they they don't understand any of the details they wouldn't be able to figure this out you know They, they don't have the time they don't have the interest they don't have the curiosity um so i don't know it's just again something that's very superficial which is very consistent with uh, the way things are trending. Um, now, what ab- <sighs> be- before we kind of like move on to looking at how we can address social media at large, um, let's talk about how Elon Musk has potentially broken liberal minds. <laughs> yeah, this is, I've noticed a lot of people kind of in my own life that are, like venomously criticizing Elon Musk also owned Tesla's, which is kind of an interesting conundrum that I think a lot of the the left is finding itself in right now, where they're simultaneously completely gung ho about electric vehicles. And maybe five years ago, they were absolutely worshiping Elon Musk as this like great inventor and great engineer that he positions mm-hmm. himself to be. And now they're kind of in the uncomfortable position where they have to, um, they have to hate him now. And the cognitive dissonance around that, I think, is very, very uh, difficult to process. Um, I think that the entire hysteria around Elon Musk is very, like, the hysteria that's going on right now around the Twitter acquisition specifically is very much coming from what could be called maybe like the pundit class or the professional managerial class. It's these people that occupy certain positions and certain roles that guarantee them a certain lifestyle and income base 
and they're unhappy with these sort of um, rapid changes and, and, and sort of steps that Elon Musk is taking, and it's driving them absolutely up the wall. And the greatest irony is that they're 100% bought into it, right? They're, they're buying the very expensive vehicles. They're completely enamored with, with what Elon Musk was selling just a few years ago. And I don't know if we're noticing a lot of this like drama and vitriol coming from people that are like working three jobs, trying to like pay the bills. Uh, I think, you know, one thing that's happening is we're seeing how thin the, the kind of like lines are between the different tribes. <laughs> it's, like, it's like very easy to just fall out of your tribe. So what are the like tribes? The moment, here? you know, like the left and right. Okay. Right, for example. Right. right. So, so he was originally kind of more associated with the left with, you know, due to kind of what he was trying to achieve with regard to climate change and, you know, as you had talked about, but now we see like the moment you kind of associate with anything that's to do with the right, right. The moment you have any sympathy towards, you know, uh, the other tribe Mm -hmm. and I'm, you know, this is the same on the right, you know, the moment someone on the right has some sympathy towards some left-leaning idea or person, you know, they get heavily criticized and then they start to get pushed out. Right. Um, so the moment any, any of that, you, you show the slightest weakness in like strict adherence to your tribal principles, you're gone. Right. And now he's, he's kind of like, at this point, you know, Elon Musk, has essentially been banished, you know, from the left. And where where are you going to go if you're Elon Musk, right? You're not going to, like, become an independent, right, politically. Like, you get absorbed into the other tribe, right? Because strength in numbers, I mean, it's just basic human psychology. It's not rocket science. Um, although Elon could hire one of his rocket scientists to prove that, right? Do you think but, there's any kind of connection between Elon Musk and Joe Rogan in that sense? In terms of their, yeah, he's, I mean, I alluded to this earlier, but they, along with some other, you know, podcasters, internet personalities, um, maybe even politicians, like right before COVID and as COVID happened and now post COVID, they, th- there has been a pretty clear transition, right? Like the, the, like COVID in general, I think really, it broke a lot of people <laughs> on both the left and the right. Um, and, and there's definitely, you know, there, there's, there was a lot of pushback against the lockdowns and against, um, some of the perceived authoritarian, some of it, you know, was, you you can actually make a case for more authoritarian kind of, uh, regulations, but real or perceived, whatever, like this is, it, it was perceived that way by, by some people. And, and as a result, they, they essentially switched tribes. And so, I don't know. I mean... So, do you think that the acquisition of Twitter by somebody who is now... I mean, again, I'm not like 100% with it in terms of Elon's like direct political thinking. But let's say if he is now closer to the camp of the likes of Donald Trump and whatnot, is... And this is something I think that the government has been unable to answer, but is Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter a threat to democracy? Uh, mm, Probably not. Probably. um, 
it's i mean twitter i think is as big of a threat to democracy as it was <laughs> independent before the acquisition <laughs> of, of elon so i don't think it's like a new threat i mean yes but i i have believed that along with other social media platforms uh yeah it, it is a threat but it's a you know independent of who holds the reins twitter right. in itself it i mean is, yeah, yeah mass media is a threat to democracy um i mean npr is a threat to democracy npr no. i guess I, I don't know I, I don't listen to a whole lot of npr but i think they they seem to do i don't know uh, they're better than fox news i would say but you know i don't really again i don't consume traditional uh, media yeah you read all your days. shit on twitter yeah. you know <laughs> Reddit, yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, oh, man that that um i think elon had like a, a jab at reddit's like, hey, i'm coming for you next like could you imagine oh, yeah. if he just like bounced from twitter and just acquired reddit that would be um that, that that is one way to stop wokeism is just to like basically acquire all their all their platforms and like just but I, I don't know what it would do to like the fabric of our society <laughs> if all of a sudden all of these people that like had outlets on reddit and twitter to like spill their vitriol everywhere or all of a sudden squeezed out into like public life dude like domestic terrorism would increase like 125 percent. i guarantee it from the left yeah because they, now, now at least like they have their platforms to like pump all their anger into Do you think so that would be interesting to see because you you see i mean i mean from the right you know it, it feels like you know it's kind of reaching a boil it was reaching a boiling point you know uh, with the election fraud and everything with the supposed election fraud yeah, where yeah. they were absolutely, you know, fearing that some right wing groups would, um, uh, try to terrorize, I guess. I, I think actually the FBI did stop some, uh, some legitimate threats. A couple of those yeah. are also, uh, proven to be not legitimate so yeah i mean look we 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 are living in an information landscape that is an absolute shit show so maybe going going back to his his like what if this is just all a ploy to like destroy twitter to like i think that's literally the best thing he could possibly do is he is elon musk morpheus from the matrix is is he giving (laughs) us the red bill right now to wake up if the cost of saving democracy is $44 billion. <laughs> that's, like, yeah. that's cheap as hell, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, God. Plus inflation, right? Yeah. Plus inflation, yeah. So, one of the conversations that we wanted to have uh, around this whole ordeal with Elon Musk and Twitter is maybe talk about things that could be done to improve social media, to, to sort of give it a chance to become something better. And if Mr. Musk is indeed listening... We hope that he does take our suggestions. Yeah, to yeah. No, we absolutely hope that he's listening. Obviously, yeah. he's not. But, you know, he, he is, I mean, good God, he, he is in the most prime position to really set the standard for, like, a new age of social media. Right. Like, he can really dictate um, some new kind of norms in this space, right? And so, let's kind of look at um, some of the ways we, we could improve social media. I, I think the... One of the biggest and maybe simplest things that we can do, I mean, something that we can do right now is implement um, a sort of user verification system, right? For everyone that's on the platform. You cannot get on a social media platform without it being directly tied to, I don't know, your driver license, your passport. Holy shit. Like something legit, um, and the reason we want to do this is because you need to impose a social cost 
to the things that people say online, to spreading disinformation, to trolling, to, you know, just just all around shitty behavior that you see online. There's a reason why in person you don't do these things, right? Because there are consequences to doing them. You might get hit in the face. You might uh, be, you know, uh, social pressure will, will kind of... Um, sorry, the, 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 there's going to be severe social consequences. Granted, those things still exist on, on social media as well to a certain extent. Yeah, there's anonymity, right? There, there is yeah. like you can create an account and make up whatever. Yeah. But, you know, there, there are instances of people being found out. Like uh, when Ted Cruz liked that porn video that one time where he didn't sign into his dummy account. But very um, unfortunate. But I mean, you, you get what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying. We, we need to impose a social cost because in real life, there are social costs. We need to do the same online. That means uh, people have to be accountable for the things that they do online. Now, look, the Internet's huge. There should still be anonymous spaces, of course. But I think if you're going to run a massive social media company, I, I, I think, and we'll get to this later, but I do think there should be regulation <laughs> that requires this sort of thing if you're going to have a social media. What do you think the appetite would be for people to, to actually sign up? Let's say if tomorrow Elon Musk said that to use Twitter, you have to scan a driver's license. The, so that's why I'm saying I think it needs to be a federal regulation. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah, no, I agree. If if you're requiring uh, this verification process and TikTok isn't, right, or another platform isn't, of course, you know, uh, the barrier to entry is much lower. Mm -hmm. People are going to flock to those. But this is why we need regulation. Uh, uh, another kind of consideration is the economic models that uh, govern these platforms. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen... Uh, with Twitter blue, Elon is trying to implement a subscription model. Uh, of course, that failed, obviously, because the users weren't verified. There was no distinction between verified profiles. Uh, that's kind of a different story. But I do think there is some merit in a subscription model. Um, now, one criticism actually could be that you kind of create a division Right. Of, of in group and out group where Absolutely. like, you know, the wealthy get to subscribe to this premium uh, social media service and the content is much better moderated as a result, et cetera. But it creates kind of two different bubbles where the poor now, you know, don't have access to, right. to the better content. And, and what, what does that do? So so there are legitimate arguments against this. Um, one potential, you know, counter to that would be a free scription model where, you know, you have a free account and a premium account and the premium accounts typically under these models, they subsidize the free accounts. Right. And so for the premium models to get to incentivize people to kind of use those, um, I don't know, you could. Uh, you could allow them to have uh, control over their algorithms, you could have. <laughs> Uh, maybe allow them to make, you know, one more post per day or per week or whatever the, you know, standard is. And there should be standards for, I think, like frequency of, of posting, uh, you know, content. And this uh, is basically taking a social media platform, maybe imposing some of the subscription models that we see in like streaming services where you have Hulu and then you have Hulu premium mm -hmm. and Hulu premium pay a little bit extra, but maybe you don't have to deal with ads that pop up every couple mm -hmm. of, uh, uh, minutes and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's so, so 
it's good that you mentioned that because the reduction or removal of ads would be another huge benefit, mm -hmm. right? Where now these people, like, like the social media platform that has the subscription model, they're getting money regardless of whether you're on it or not. So all the content doesn't have to be, uh, you know, uh, filtered to be the most engaging, right? It can be what's actually best for people instead of what's more engaging, because what's more engaging obviously isn't necessarily aligned with what's best for us. Um, and yeah, so, you know, we've seen Elon Musk kind of take, try to take a stab at something like this. Um, it's actually, it actually sucks that he, uh, implemented this in such a poor way because which I think it's going to come back. I think that this right. is exactly what we talked about earlier, where he just says he wants it done like in three days, it's not possible. It's a total fuck up. But eventually, it's going to be up and running, and I think this is, I think this is a centerpiece of if he has any plan for Twitter. I think creating new revenue streams is something that he's very, very interested in doing, and he's talked about well before the acquisition actually went through. I think we're going to see Twitter Blue happen for sure. It's almost a guarantee. I hope so, and I hope it's implemented very well because, uh, like I said, he can really set a standard. And it would be great. Like I, you know, I want Elon Musk to succeed. Like ev everyone should be like rooting for Elon to succeed. Of course, with the internet culture, everybody's trying to shit on him and, you know, uh, criticize every move that he makes. And certainly he's made moves that are worthy of a lot of criticism. But let's be honest, like we want to live in the best society possible. We should be rooting for Elon Musk. Is Elon Musk going to be the one that brings about the best society as possible? <laughs> I mean, I think, I think we have, like, I don't know. I'm not quite sure if, if he's going to be the one that, that guides us to the light. No comment. No comment. Um, that's also the soundbite we're going to point people to when they start hemorrhaging in the comment section saying that we hate Elon Musk and we're oppressing him. Uh, yeah. Case in point that our boy Levon is yeah. wanting him to succeed to a certain extent. Yeah. So, okay. So uh, another thing to consider uh, for improving social media, another way maybe, I think the algorithm, the algorithms, sorry, uh, that are kind of governing the behavior of these, um, of, of the content that's, that's shown to the users. We need to really look at these because right now they're developed by kind of just random software developers they don't have training in philosophy ethics they, they don't understand like what training do they have in like human nature sociology psychology right like they don't know shit but they're producing these algorithms that are you know potentially you know um kind of influencing elections they're influencing people's daily lives right uh we should really take a hard like this should be like the foremost thing that's looked at right um, and I think one way that, uh, we could do it is by making these algorithms public. Like, again, you know, we have to, you know, not to get ahead, but we need some federal regulation that might make this a requirement so that we actually can have some transparency and look at what's happening. Um, we can, so we can look at the coefficients that are tied to each of these variables, right? Like how, how are things weighted? Uh, we want to know these things. Um, because we, we do have some understanding of human nature, right? We know humans are loss averse. We know that they're very tribal. We know that, you know, fear, outrage, race baiting, all these things are going to, uh, promote, um, the most engagement. Like that's very obvious. We know these things, 
but we also know they're destructive to society. We also know that at an individual level, they don't make us happy. So why the fuck are these algorithms favoring content like that? I mean, it's, it's really a simple question, right? Um, so yeah, I think we need studies that look at the metrics, uh, that look at metrics other than likes, comments, the time spent on uh, viewing a video. Um, perhaps one thing you can look at is the content of comments, right? Are they looking at the contents of comments? Maybe ones that are more positive. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like with, with the advent of AI, maybe we can really like, you know, take a more sub substantive look at some of these elements. And then maybe as technology progresses, we can uh, introduce new forms of engagements or, or, or um, new metrics, right, to, to understand engagement, right? Uh, perhaps some, so, you know, some sort of mechanism to read facial expressions, right? We don't know. Like may, may, maybe some facial expressions are tied to certain types of posts, certain type of posts. That is or, a racist facial expression. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, look, we, 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 we've got to get creative. You know, I mean, I don't know all the answers, but we need, we need the best minds looking at this, but to reduce, to reduce the kind of the core variables in these algorithms to likes, comments, and like time spent viewing the video. Like that's complete, like I, I get it. You know, we have a limited interface, right? But we can do better. We have to do better. We don't really have a choice. Yeah. But I think there is also a very, very fine line that we're always trading with um, placing too many controls on social media where there is kind of this potential for almost like a police state type of environment to emerge where yeah, okay, fine. There's like an algorithm that like inflicts justice and like rips comments out because they're coming off a certain way or heaven forbid, like retina scanners gauging like attitudes before something is posted. I think that they're not, not to like interject with the slippery slope. I, th it is very, I think it, it's a very complex problem to solve by arbitration, right? Because there's always going to be the question of what makes somebody indeed qualified to, to ensure that a comment is up to standards. But I agree with you 100% on the algorithms. I think there definitely needs to be a review of sorts, maybe from like a, a federal governing entity to ensure that algorithms aren't damaging to us to a certain extent. Sure. But I mean, uh, so what I'm saying, though, is basically uh, only about the algorithms, mm -hmm. at least thus far, right? So... Whether we make those changes or not, as they currently are, they are promoting certain types of content. So you're not really like, you're not really adding any more like strictness. You're not adding whatever, like it, it's already promoting things based on a certain set of rules. All you're saying is let's change the rules to be more favorable to the well-being of society. Right. Right. And right. I think that we can agree on. Right. I, I think that there has been enough research done on the impacts of social media and its algorithms on how young people develop things along those lines. So yeah, there, there's probably, there, there's an idea there. Mm -hmm. Now, as, as I alluded to earlier, like we need, we, we need this regulation, I think to be at a federal level. If, 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 if one social media company takes it upon yep. themselves to make these changes and one it doesn't, it's going to create like a, almost like a vacuum of sorts where there's always, if one ethical social media company emerges with like fully 
well-functioning ethical algorithms and controls in place for verification, the next second there's going to be a social media platform that pops up that offers the exact opposite. I think that's what people are going to flock to. Yeah, yeah. We, we know what people prefer. We, we already know. And we know like that social media platform that's actually good for us is going to be less engaging. Like that's a fact. We have to, we have to accept that fact that if we want to live in a society with healthy social media platforms, we're going to be spending less time on our phone. <laughs> right. We like, if we can't, if we can't come to grips with that, we are doomed because we know what drives engagement. Yeah. That is absolutely well known. There's and, and no I, question. And I think at the end of the day, any form of reform or modification to social media, to internet usage, to anything is always going to be a band-aid solution. What we really need to do is we need to start, I think, uh, inve- reinvesting in education and public education to make sure that we have individuals entering society that are capable of critical thought, that aren't going to be reading things verbatim, and that can become themselves ethical users of the internet without having to have all these controls in place. So I somewhat disagree with you. I mean, I, I think what you said is correct that we do need to promote a, uh, a, a better society where people are able to think critically mm-hmm. for themselves. However, think about how difficult that change is going to be, right. To make versus changing the algorithms versus federal regulation of social media. And let me give you an example of, of some of the regulations, right? Um, we could add age, res- age restrictions, right? To social media, that, yeah, that's 18 or older. Okay. Yeah. We have that for alcohol. Why not have that in the online space, right? We have it in, in, in the physical world. Let's have it in the, in the digital realm. Screen time restrictions, maybe based on age. I mean, we've seen with the iPhone, you know, the, with iOS, the, the, they're offering the screen time uh, uh, monitoring. But now, can we impose restrictions? Can we federally mandate that? I don't know. That's that's getting into murky waters, right? With <laughs> very murky waters. But just throwing out these ideas, uh, maybe restricted days for exploring content outside of like your defined region, whether mm-hmm. that is your city your state, your country, probably something not as large as like your country. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, I'm thinking really more local. Maybe you only have one day a week where you get exposed to all the content in the world, right? Or all the content from the world. You only get exposed on a normal day to content in your city, let's say. What that also does is impact the delocal, uh, the, the exposure to, to, the people of much higher status than you would normally be exposed to within your city. Instead of competing with people in your nation or in the world for attractiveness, um, you know, if, if you're a female for attractiveness, if you're a male for status, right now you're competing with people in your city. And all of a sudden people that don't have such a high status are a little bit more attractive to you, let's say, you, you know, or, or, or you're not as um, depressed because these people are kind of more along your, you know, the status that you have. Um, so that could be a huge benefit. I mean, uh, th- that sort of uh, delocalization of status, I think, is, is a very interesting topic. That I think that is absolutely a horrifying scenario you're painting. I mean, okay. that, that that is okay. That is yeah. Th- that I think to a certain extent is a very paternalistic solution. Okay, because that it, that is 
Yeah, that that is a government entity absolutely controlling access to information that somebody can get. That that is like that that ain't the solution. I think most of the things I was with well, you on it. I think you, you're with something on age restrictions. I think that okay. in itself is probably the most uh, effective thing that we could do, and it'll probably have the most support. But the amount of uh, ju- just divisions in society that would be created by preventing people from freely accessing information how they see fit and it's also not- uh well hold, hold, hold on like I, I don't want you to misconstrue what i'm saying what, what i'm saying is on social media platforms like the big social media platforms and that's again like it's i get it there's a gray area because like first of all what constitutes a big like social media pl- platform right is like okay twitter is big by all accounts is reddit big probably okay like when you start going down the list like what's big you still have the internet you still have access to information all over the world if you want you still have all the news sources but because of how social media apps essentially gamify news gamify social interaction online they to me fall into a special category where i think it can provide a net benefit in society to really regulate it of course it you know, it's going to be difficult and it can be abused. Um, but I, I mean, here's the argument I'd make to you. Like you look at the physical world and you see how much regulation there is in the physical world of, of different activities, right? Mm-hmm. There's look at the fucking laws that we have. There's so many laws, right? We don't even know all the laws. We need lawyers to understand what the fuck's going on half the time. The online space is essentially in its stone age, right? The equivalent of its stone age. Like it's the wild west, in my opinion. And so if all I'm proposing is you have some regulation on a very specific category of the online space, right? In only a specific area of the online space, that is social media, to me, that's not like, I mean, you're kind of like, I felt like you were painting a bit of like a 1984. Well, that's what it kind of scenario. sounded like. Because I think ultimately speaking, that is an entity deciding that it knows better for the majority, right? I think there are very real controls. You, you had the very accurate example of things being regulated as is, right? Alcohol consumption, mm-hmm. uh, marijuana, things like that. I think that age restriction is a very important thing, right? Okay. Just like there's just in that how there are age restrictions on things like pornography, for instance, those are, I mean, who really takes them seriously, right? I, I think that we need to have them in place to give, let's say, parents tools to work with to a certain extent, okay. right? To make it easier for them. But I think that everything else, it should still be hands off. I mean, even on Twitter, like it, it is somebody's, I think, an expression of freedom to be able to go on twitter and to be able to search things and see things that are happening anywhere in the world right without restriction without any sort of parameters okay what if these restrictions only applied to people like you know i i think the issue that you take most issue with or the, the the point that i made that you take most issue with is this restricted days for exploring content outside <laughs> to of a your region extent, yeah right and yeah that, that that is the most like authoritarian point for sure and I'm not saying like, that's necessarily like, you know, it's not like I'm not married to like this idea. I'm just throwing, I'm throwing shit against the wall to see what ma- might stick 
right? And, and what I'm saying I, I, yeah. is, what, yeah. I, what I'm saying is like, this is an idea that can potentially solve the issue of you know us being exposed to things that um, to things that have have kind of pro- been proven to to be bad for you know on an individual level and i think even in things like in terms of like dating markets where mm-hmm. you're exposed to to people of of the highest status and attractiveness all around the world um i don't know like yeah like it, maybe it is a bad idea to do that but it, maybe you can fine tune it maybe you say it's only applicable to the people under 18 um but there's also an amazing amount of information that you get about other places and other True. localities. I, I think I mean, that there's a cost to it. The most, yeah, absolutely. Just like there's a cost to everything, right? But sure. the most valuable thing I think that that this discussion has pointed out is the age restriction aspect to it, because I think that's something you would find a lot of people are in agreement over, because with all the research being done into how algorithms, like, like we we're talking earlier, how algorithms do, algorithms do impact developing uh, minds, how it impacts habits in young people. We've discussed in the past on the show the suicide rates that that mm-hmm. are prevalent in adolescence because of things like Instagram. I think more effective age limits on it are true, and I think that's in line with how we function as a society, right? There are certain things that you can and cannot do at certain ages, and at varying stages of maturity, you're kind of granted more and more freedoms. So driving a car, for instance, is a good mm-hmm. example of it. I think that's in line with it gives... It, it, it leaves a chance for some of these critical thinking skills to develop and senses of individuality to develop unencumbered by like nonsense and social media. So yes, that, that I think is the most valid point out of, out of that in terms of federal regulation, everything else, I think it would, it wouldn't stand up to, to, well, I mean, on one level, I agree. I think it would be difficult for it to be implemented. I think it could be abused, but I like if, it also kind of, to me, like personally, it depends on how social media platforms evolve, mm-hmm. right? If they do make those other changes and they become more pleasant and healthy online spaces, then you need less regulation, right? Mm-hmm. They're naturally going to be just a, po- a positive thing. But if we're finding it, you know, if over time we continue to find it very difficult uh, to kind of contain, like it's it, the ill effects of social media... I don't see why we can't view it as like basically like the equivalent of like casinos right, in the <laughs> physical world where we do have very strict regulations, right, on gambling and casinos. And if, you know, why not have the same strictness towards, again, these social media spaces that have gamified social interaction? Because I think that's still the exchange of information. And I think the exchange of information is still very critical. In- sure. I think that opens up a lot of doors to controlling things that people see in general, which we already have a problem with to a certain extent. But if there is indeed like a governing agency that oversees these sorts of things, what's to prevent that governing agency from preventing stories criticizing said governing agency to to get attention? But we're we're talking about exclusively content on social media. We're talking about social media. Like you still have the internet at your disposal. But let's right. But let's think about how even the media is consumed, right? How are stories shared? If a story breaks, it's going to get a lot of traction on Twitter, and it's important to see get traction on Twitter. That's the utility of Twitter to a certain extent. Otherwise, yeah, okay. I think it's hand in hand with the argument over improving education and training to make sure people know how to access information and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But a lot of news, even if it's an article from the New York Times, is going to be 
attract and, and it's going to get attention from its presence on social media. I, I guess maybe another question I have, again, I just want to make sure that we're on the same page because, I mean, I have the same concerns that you have about content moderation and censorship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we discussed that on the last episode. Um, if anyone's interested in checking that out, please do. But, you know, like some of the things I mentioned, they're not really, the only thing that affects content moderation is what's outside of your region. Um, but it's not actually, but it's simply based on geography, which is a very objective measure. Yeah. It's not like, well, we're going to censor left-leaning content today and right-leaning content tomorrow. And then Andrew take content on Wednesday, you know, it, it, it's, it, it, it's geographically based, which is like a very like concrete and objective measure that you could potentially have people actually agree on. Like there's very few things at this point that people seem to agree on. Right. Uh, but you know, geography is, is one that is kind of indisputable. I think it would isolate people to be honest, because I think that that's the value of the internet is that, yeah, it does have, you're able to, the information you access from other regions is going to inform your, your position. So, so so do you think if, if they add, let's say they added this right on, on weekends, you can, uh, you can engage with any content worldwide, right? Uh, but during the week, content is limited to your local sphere. But why? Like, wh- wh- to promote more, um, to promote your local environment. But that more. that should be on the right. individual to seek out local environments. It shouldn't be on some sort of like larger right. entity to to control okay. when you could access something. Sure. Because I mean, think about the statement that you just made. On the you're allowed to do something. Yeah. At one part of the week, on the next part of the week, something gives you the permission to do it. The fact that something is giving you permission, that, that's outside the bounds of, I think, of, of what free access to information would be. I think the issue is, like, that, that's still a band-aid solution. I think the problem is that we're, we're not accessing local information. And I think maybe, like, I see what you're saying about the, the you know, we're talking about social media channels, mm-hmm. right? But I think the fact that there would be a third party policing when you can and cannot access something that 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 in itself that's not a solution that that is it, it, i think it's it, it would be a very paternalistic thing because it would be a tacit agreement that something knows better than us whatever that something is be it a government agency or a commission or something well let me ask you this what would let, let's say and i don't want to like just get stuck on this point but i think it's interesting to disagree like i don't well i don't entirely disagree i think i, mean, I think you're making valid points and just because i wrote this down as a, <laughs> just because i wrote to, this yeah. down as a bullet point yeah i'm not married to it and i think yeah i mean it, again it's you're throwing shit on the wall and and this is the point to discuss this topic and it's interesting i think it's fascinating um uh what was i going to say um I, th- I think there's also technical limitations, right? Like the, what, you know, how would we actually impose such a level of censorship? And then could that, could that then be used to censor other, you know, spaces on the internet? Absolutely. Right? Be, so, like, yeah. so, so, so that, that part is, is the most slippery slope that I see, but I do, I, I do take your concern of, of its paternalistic nature, um, if there were studies that showed this has an immense benefit to society, because if you think about, you know, for most of human history, like our interactions with others have been at a very local level, right? I mean, we, we've been contained. The scope of like human perception of their environment has been very local, like, like 
I don't know, within maybe a few miles radius of like where you were born even. Mm-hmm. Right. And so to, to some, to, to try to maybe revert back to that to some extent, is that like, you know, I don't know. Is that the worst thing? In it's the not world? the worst thing if it's done organically by, and I think there is a certain extent that happening. Okay. Because let's we, explore that. Hold on. Let's, uh, what are ways we could incentivize focus on emphasis on the local we don't have to incentivize anything i think it's an organic thing that happens where people i think at a certain age maybe they they take interest into the communities in which they live maybe when they start raising families or when they get tired of the potholes in their street there is no incentive that is needed i think it has to be organic or it shouldn't happen at all and because with incentives, again, it implies that somebody knows better. And I think there, there is a, a wealth of individuals that are very interested in their communities, that join interest committees, that organize uh, activist groups to, to focus on local issues. Those things happen. And I think there's, there are going to be people who are interested in that and people who aren't. Because Okay, let, let's hold on. So you're talking about organic kind of this, this should happen organically. But the truth is like what social media content is promoted isn't necessarily organic it's determined by algorithms and human nature we know is incredibly biased towards um you know the 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 highest status right the it's it's a winner take all attention economy um and we know that these things could be bad for us like if studies show that like this is incre- like increasingly focusing on things at a global scale, news at a global scale, like we kind of already know that's having ill effects on people. Um, and, and, and it's not necessarily, uh, an organic, I mean, it could be organic, but like, just cause it's natural doesn't also necessarily mean it's, it's in our best interest. Um, I don't know. Like, I guess my question to you is almost as like, is anything really organic? Like if social media algorithms are amplifying certain types of content I think because I, of the way but, that but, it, but interest is organic. If somebody's interested in local events and local happenings, it's because they're interested in not because an algorithm is dictating or something. Mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, th- there is, all, yes, every, you know, all, most conversations are happening around things that are happening in like the federal level of things, but there, it, it does not exclude participation, interest in local inter- issues as well. Right. And I, I just take issue with the the incentives or any of these sorts of things, right? There, yes, there is a focus on like national events and national occurrences, but I don't think that precludes percent, like, like portions of our society still caring about what happens in their own communities, right? Yeah, yeah. To be continued that discussion. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. We we can we can continue on on the maybe the final uh, slide here on improvement of social media, but it it just goes back to maybe imposing a social media tax. Um, I don't know how exactly that would be implemented, <laughs> but uh, what if you know um, you know we use that tax to say promote educational content on social? Yeah, media. if you want to ship post, you have to pay twenty five cents. Or, 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 or use that to regulate social media effectively, you know, with say the age restriction, right? Um, I don't know. Like they, they make so much money, these social media platforms. It, it would be nice to be able to, you know, like a carbon tax that could be helpful potentially. Uh, 
maybe this is something that can help the online space be regulated a little bit. Yeah. Not not in a paternalistic manner, but maybe maybe just a little bit of regulation. Sure. Yeah. Um, maybe over business practices too, right? If you're mm-hmm. making money off of ad revenue mm-hmm. to a certain extent. To provide more business scrutiny, yeah. Right. Like mm-hmm. if you're using these algorithms to, to churn ads, well then a percentage of that should go back into public funding. I, I could agree with that. All right. We actually agree on something. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think... I think regardless, again, you know, those were some topics to discuss. Like we, we just need the best minds to be looking at this. If, if, if social media is as important to our society as it appears to be like, what, what the hell, like, what are we doing? Like, how, how is this not garnering more attention and focus? I mean, it's building, but it's like, like we literally need the best people. And, like you, you know, asked earlier, like, is Elon Musk the person to lead us, <laughs> you know, in that regard? I mean, I don't know. But say what you will, uh, we're talking about it now. And maybe this was the, maybe true. this was the master wow. plan all along. What a plan. Where by, by dropping $44 billion plus inflation on Twitter, Elon did it just so people start critically evaluating Twitter. He, in fact, is the benevolent savior. Galaxy brain move from elon musk total space brain stuff okay um well uh i I think that pretty much sums up uh all of our thoughts on every topic ever and uh we're done with the podcast uh our relationship after that argument is is forever tarnished (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah it's all over this is the last episode of radius of reason but still don't forget to hit that subscribe button. smash that like button we will have more andrew tate clips (laughs) we're just going to become an andrew tate hate podcast that's the only way we're ever going to like attract clout is there an andrew tate hate podcast out there yeah that's a good question um but yeah, we'll we'll have shorts for you guys. Uh, if you see the same content over and over again, apologies, but we we need to promote our uh, channel. So and we really bear do, with we us. We do appreciate the engagement in the comment section, even though we we're talking smack about it earlier. Yes, and actually, we we want to highlight a comment we received uh, on uh, our video. I believe it was, um, "Is Andrew Tate a misogynist?" And this was a comment from at recent human. So he had recently just evolved from our uh, common ancestor. Uh, welcome. With, with the, yeah. And uh, his comment was, you will cringe at yourself when you actually get with women in real life and get humbled. <laughs> so thank you at recent human for that absolutely amazing enlightened comment. And please, please comment again. And comment more. We want. We we will put. If, if you continue to comment on our videos, you, every episode will end with one of your comments. This is a promise. Even even if we reach Joe Rogan levels of fame, like you, you will be highlighted every episode at the end of every episode. And with that, thank you for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode of Radius of Reason. Stay safe, everyone. Adios. Did that get too heated?